You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Tested. This series explores the book of 1 Peter to learn how we can respond when our faith is tested. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We are in a series called uh, Tested. Um, if you're new here, my name is Brian, I'm the lead pastor. If you were in these verses, uh, verses 4 through 10, um, when I was a kid, I, uh, I loved puzzles, and uh, me and our family would, would put puzzles together and, you know, try to, you know, beyond this to 24-piece puzzle, you know, like the big, you know, thousand-piece or whatever. And, uh, and, and even now, me and my wife, we, we, like to do, we like to do puzzles with our kids, and, uh, and, and by that, I mean that my wife and I do the puzzle, and our kids watch TV, and, uh, you know, just good, solid family time. And so... We, uh, but anyway, so back then, our house was crazy, and uh, everything got destroyed. Did you guys live in one of those houses, too? I just, it was our fault. It wasn't, not a reflection of my parents, it was our fault. And so everything got destroyed, and these puzzles got destroyed. And so all of our puzzles, the pieces that were left of them, ended up in a freezer bag. How many of you guys have puzzles in freezer bags? Like, you remember that? And so the, 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 the box was destroyed and nowhere in sight, which is, wasn't a, a, a big deal for me because, you know, we could uh, continue to do the puzzle from memory. But if, any, if you've never done the puzzle before, you know, it's kind of a problem. You kind of need the picture on the box to, like, know how to make sense of, like, how to put these pieces together and what, what you're actually trying to do. And, and if I was to take this Bible and I was to cut up all the verses and put them in one of those freezer bags and handed it to you, would I be handing you a Bible? Well, kind of yes and no. I mean, one, there's, like, all the pieces of the Bible but you, you, don't, you don't have the picture on the Bible. You don't know what you're really... Um, I mean, it would be kind of a mean trick, actually, if that's the way the Bible was uh, presented to us. But I don't think the Bible is a mean trick. I actually think the Bible is, is pretty clear about the things that God wants us to be clear on. And I think he's kind of vague on the things that, quite frankly, are none of our business. And so, but as human beings, we, we don't like the things that are plain. Like, we don't like the things that are obvious. Like, we, we like the mysterious stuff, sometimes even goofy stuff. And, and so, like, something that takes, like, a mathematical formula to figure out. And so that's the stuff that we would focus on, and we forget the stuff that's plain. And there are just some things in the Bible that God's vague on that's okay to be vague on. Like, if you don't know exactly when and how the world is going to end, it's okay. I just want you to know that that is okay. You, you can be a little fuzzy on that. It's okay because the Bible's a little... A little fuzzy on that. If you don't know exactly, if you can't explain in detail exactly how the world began, like you know what day and, and all, you can explain it all. If you don't know that, it's, it's okay. You know, the Bible isn't clear on that, and so you don't, if it's a little fuzzy to you, that's fine. But there are things in the Bible that, that God makes very, very clear that are kind of the point of the whole thing. That he wants you to be very, very clear on. And I would, and I would just encourage you, I hope that you're, uh, at least in your hearts, leaning forward here a little bit, that you would aspire to be clear on. The things that the Bible is clear on, I, my hope is that you would live lives and you aspire to uh, live in that kind of clarity as well. And I bring that all up is because the verses that were read for us today, the verses that we're going to be talking about today, are such verses. They are the picture on the puzzle box. They are communicating to us something very, very clear that if your life, when you, after going through today and you don't feel like your life really lines up with what this is saying, um, I, I would say that at best in life you're treading water. 
Like, you're not really getting what the Bible really wants you to get. But if you are getting this, if, you, if, you, if, you are, if you're finding that your life does fit into this picture, I mean, your, your life is going to be bursting with meaning. And, uh, and what it is and what he says is it's in verse um, 4. If we could read these uh, together. I hope, by the way, if you're new here, it's awesome. we have Bibles for you if you don't have a Bible. And I would hope that you would, if at all possible, look at that with me. Um, doesn't matter so much about what I say. Matters a whole lot more what the Bible says. And so it's important that you um, see that for yourself. So this is what it says. Ready? It says, as you come to him. Okay, now it's going to tell us who him is, right? A living stone rejected by men, in the, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. precious. Does, do, do we know anyone who, when he came to earth, was rejected by men, and, but God thought he was awesome? Anybody know who that could be? Who is he? G- okay, good. Jesus. So as you come to Jesus, you, okay, this is your part. Ready? This is you. As you come to him, as you come to Jesus, you yourselves like, which means very, in, in a very similar way, as you yourselves like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. So what God's wanting to do in your life, what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in your life, he's wanting to build you brick upon brick, life upon life, with other living stones, which are, again, living stones are those who come to Jesus. Living stones are those who are, so Christians, believers. Once you were not a people. Once you were, it was just you. It all met, it, it was just, you were isolated alone. You were lost and alone. You were hurting and helpless. You were in darkness. You were, you were on the outside. Once you were not apart. But now, now things are different. Now you are a part of God's people. And if you want to know the picture on the box, the one of the things that, this is, this is something that you really, you can't swing and miss on this one. You can't sideline this one. You could sideline some other things that the Bible's a little fuzzy on. But this is the thing that you need, we need to get a hold of for you and for those that God would want to bless through you. Is that when we come together as living stones and we, and we grow tighter and tighter together, it's the place, it's a spiritual house. That word spiritual house just means temple. It means, and temple means the place where God dwells. It's a place where God's glory inhabits, that when we come together like that, well, when we come to him, he, he's building us together in his, uh, as his temple, as his tabernacle, as a place where his glory dwells. And this is huge. This is, this is the point. God is always, 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 this isn't just, in, this isn't just the pinnacle of 1 Peter. It's not, it's not even just the pinnacle of the New Testament. This is the pinnacle of the Bible, and this is the pinnacle of, of what history is about. God, God's desire is to dwell with the people. He, that's what he wants. He's a father looking for a family. He's wanting to dwell with the people. That's the point. And so if you go back, and this is why you and I are made for You and I are made for the presence of God. You and I are hardwired. We are created to have a relationship, to be in his, in his presence. Uh, there's a part in Ecclesiastes that you may be familiar with. It says that you know, he's put eternity in our hearts and what's going on there. He's saying like God's put something in you to want this, to go after it. So the reason, the, the motivation behind the motivation behind the motivation of all that you do is that. 
It's the reason why you chase after a career. It's the reason why you chase after love. It's the reason why you chase after relationships. It's the reason why you want to feel important. There's all these things, all these man things that the the underneath that all is desire to be in God's presence. And so we, but we try to fill it with so many other things. We try to fill it with relationships, jobs. You know, it's why things. But we always it always come up short. It's like a mirage. We see it and we think it's that, and we go after it, and it's not there anymore. It's why things don't taste the way we think they should taste. It's why relationships aren't quite what we thought they would be. It's why the money that we thought if we can get our hands on would make everything great and it doesn't make things great, it's because that isn't the thing. But that's all pushing toward his presence. Now, there was a time where we did have his presence, where there was a time where mankind, and we see this in the garden with Adam and Eve, that they had a face-to-face with the eternally holy and happy God. And it was awesome. Lasted like two pages of your Bible. And what happened is that they decided to, um, to be, not to be their own masters. They decided that, hey, we don't actually need God anymore. Thanks, but no thanks. And when they, when they did that, that broke the, the presence of, between them and God. That broke the relationship between them and God. And, but it didn't just break off that relationship. It, it, there was a very much a sense to where it, it broke us. We, were, we became broken. And the world became broken. Death, disease, injustice, pain, suffering. That's why people aren't nice. It's all that. It all has to do with a separation from his presence. And so they were sent from the garden, right? And, you know, even, even put up like angels and flaming swords to protect this because, and he wasn't doing it so much to punish, although that was a part of it, but it was because we could, because it was protection. It was because we couldn't bear his presence. We don't deserve his presence, but we couldn't bear it either. And so as you go on in the Old Testament, you would, you know, don't touch that mountain, don't touch this, don't do this, because it will, you can't, if you see me, you'll die. Because of this broken, this brokenness that's in your life and it's between us, you, you can't bear, even though this is what you want and this is what you need and this is, this is the, this is the, my presence is the answer to all that ails you, you, you this, it's been cut off because of sin. Now God in his mercy is not happy with that. He's not, he's not content with that. So he devises a plan, and he begins to episodically uh, come to individuals at particular times and, 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 and be amongst them in a way. So he comes to Abraham, he comes to Jacob, he wrestles with Jacob in, in Genesis 32, and they, you know, this place called Bethel, and you know, the whole, like, you know, there's a stairway to heaven and all this stuff, and you could, and he calls it Bethel because he's like, hey, this is, which means house of God, and he's like, this is where God lives, but not really, he was just there for a moment because he, it's not really what's going on. And so, but then the people of Israel come around. Moses leads them into, uh, leading them to the promised land. And God makes a covenant with them. Said, hey, look, if you, if you obey my covenant, I will, my presence will be amongst you. And so they, they build this tabernacle according to his um, specification, God's specification. And in the middle of that, surrounded by this curtain in the Holy of Holies, this place, this Ark of the Covenant, his presence dwelled. He so much wanted to be amongst his people that he was willing to live in a box. And it was characterized by a cloud by day and a fire by night. But only a few people could actually get in there and only once a year, not even Moses. It wasn't really what he wanted, but it was he's communicating to us. He's communicating to us that that is what I want. I want to be, I want to live amongst not just individuals, but I want to live amongst my people, but all all this time in this in this setup, he sends people, and, he, and there's these what's called prophecies that foretelling of a day, a telling of a day where 
It's not just going to come, the, the presence of God isn't just going to come to a few individuals, but it's actually, it's going to be, it's going to be everyone. And one of those places is in Joel 2, uh, 28, 29, says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, even on my male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit. Joel is saying that one day that God's presence uh, it's not going to kill people. It's going to empower people, and it's going to be plentiful. It's going to be. It's going to be. It's going to be. Well, how's that going to happen? Well, when Jesus died on the cross, the, the, court, the, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. This thing that separated us from God's presence was torn in two. And when Jesus died on the cross, He did not just pay the penalty for our sin, but He gave us access into God's presence. And if you're a Christian here this morning, if you're if you are one who's come to you have access to this power, this power, this presence that is the thing that's going to heal everything that's broken in the world. And what Peter is saying, what he's trying to drive home, is that this becomes an increasing reality in your life as you come to him and as you are fitted together with other believers, life upon life. Jesus is the builder, he decides our shape, he decides how we function, he fits us together in that wall, and he wants to build you tighter and tighter into community, to where it's like a, it's like a, it is just like a, like a house, the metaphor of a brick in relationship to a house, that, you know, you've got a brick in the middle of a wall, you've got bricks that depend upon you, and you depend upon other bricks, and that if you shake, the wall tends to shake, if you take that brick out, um, you know, the wall is seriously affected. And you may be coming to a meeting and hearing teaching and music and, and little Christian stuff here and there. But are you so connected to a body of believers that if you were to go, things would shake? Things would matter? This idea that Christianity is private, individualistic experience where you get a little bit of teaching, you pray a bit, you, you, know, you read your Bible... That um, aren't being built in may be a religious experience that you've come to appreciate, but it's not. It's not Christianity. It's not what God's wanting to do in your life. God's not wanting to build you into amazing bricks that lay on the side of the street. He wants to build you as amazing bricks as a part of a building. I was in St. Genevieve yesterday, and I didn't even know it's older than St. Louis. They got these, all these old buildings in the 1700s. And we were all, I was with a group of people, and we were all like taking pictures and Instagramming these amazing buildings. And everyone's going, oh, this, this building's amazing, and this building's amazing, this building. There was not one Instagram on a brick. No one said, wow, this is an amazing brick. Look how awesome this brick is. Because actually, you know what? It's only amazing because it's a part of a building. You will never come close to reaching your potential outside of being built in like that. Because, not because I say so, because God says so. As you come to him, he's fitting you in. He knows how you're made. He knows your experiences and, 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 and struggles and pain and suffering even, as well as gifting, as well as personality. And you're not here by accident, but he's wanting to fit you into something. That's what he wants to do. He's wanting to grow you where you're tighter and tighter. 
the clearest picture that we see of this is in Acts um, 2.42. You can read that later. But one of the things that he says, that um, Luke says, is that, that these early believers, they were devoted to the fellowship. Now, when you and I think of that word, we think of like, like being social, like having friends, which is a part of it. Um, or, you know, if you've been around a church in a while, like maybe you went to some, you know, church that had a fellowship hall, which is some place, you know, some wet basement that where you ate 18 different versions of tater tot casserole. And so that's what fellowship is, is tater tot casserole. That's not what actually fellowship means when it says they were devoted. Fellowship, the fellowship, the, that Greek word koinonia means the partnership or joint venture. They were devoted to the partnership. They were devoted to the joint venture, which in a, I don't know if you guys you know, know much about business, but in a partnership, when it, if you cannot, I'll say it this way, if the partnership fails, you fail. The partnership succeeds, you succeed. You can't have individual success if the partnership isn't doing well. That's why Paul, in his writing, says things like, hey, you know what? When one mourns, we all mourn. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. You know why? Because you and I, like it or lump it, are pegged to each other's success. That's what it means to be a part of the church. It means to be in a joint venture. It means to be in a partnership with other people. Now, I don't know about you, but I see a lot of problems with that. Because you and I are involved. And we're not always great. And we're on a low end, sometimes annoy each other, and sometimes we hurt each other. Which is what last week's message was about. Get rid of bitterness and... See, that's what Peter's going. Peter, he comes to a group of believers scattered through all Asia Minor. They thought God was, you know taking a coffee break. And he's like, no, no, no. God's in control. He knows exactly what's going on here. I know you're hurting. I know you're in pain. Here's the thing. You need to keep your eyes on the gospel. Up here, guys, that's what he was saying. Look at the gospel. The angels never get bored of looking at it. Neither should you. Keep your eyes on the gospel. And then there's like this pivotal point in, um, in chapter 1, verse 13. He's like, hey, you need to get prepared for action. It's very similar to what Jesus said in, I think, Luke 12, like 35. He says, he says, you need to keep your lamps burning. You need to be ready because there's something happening. You need, to, you need to be prepared for the action. So get ready. And then he gets into, hey, be holy. Set yourself apart for God's exclusive use. And, uh, you know, obey the word. And, under, you know, keep looking at it. Don't forget about the gospel because you're, I'm, I'm putting you in relationships. And your spiritual growth is going to be tied to how much you love each other. And you're going to have to do lots and lots of forgiveness. You're going to have to do lots and lots of that. Because something really big is going to happen. God wants to do something really big in your life. Here's what he wants to do. He wants to build you in to his own temple. He wants to he wants to create a place where his presence is uniquely there. Once you are not a people, but now he's making you and forming you. He's building you into something. He wants to do something huge. And so he's wanting to build, here, there's a sense of it, he's wanting to make, he's wanting to build you into community, but here's the other thing he wants to do. He wants to make you builders of community. Just like, man, that's why he says things like, you know, that's why you're a royal priesthood, making spiritual sacrifice. So priests back then, only priests could do ministry. 
So everyone knew that only priests do ministry, and everyone else just kind of passively watched priests do ministry. And he's saying, look, I've made you a whole nation of priests. I've made you a whole community of priests to offer spiritual sacrifices. And any organism, the church is a, is a living organism. You are a living organism. Every living organism needs inputs and outputs. You take things in, you take air in, you take um, food in, water, you take in uh, sleep, you take in inputs, and, you, and there's outputs. There's this, if you don't have a healthy uh, rhythm of input and output, you're not a healthy organism. All organisms work that way. And many people see the church as like this vendor of religious goods and services. So it's, it's about the inputs. It's about, what, it's about what I'm getting out of this. And I better get what I want out of this or, hey, I'm out of here. Man, like, I just want to say super lovingly, man, I just, I don't say that. I'm not offended by that. But in a loving way, I'm like, man, you've missed, like, what God wants to do in your life by a mile. Like, that's some other game that you're playing. The church isn't just about a place where there's inputs. Because that's why, if it is, if the church is just about inputs, the church is just about, like, hearing sermons. Like, you know, I can hear sermons anywhere. Hearing good music, I can hear good music anyway. If it's just about these kind of little religious things that we input, then the church just becomes, like, this add-on thing. And what's really important is, like, your job. What's really important is where you live. And what's really, and, like, and then, like, finding a church. I mean, it's like, you know, you find your dentist and you find your church. Nothing, I mean... Nothing against Dennis, by the way. I don't know why I said that, but <laughs> please be gentle. <laughs> and um, but it's it's don't you? He's fitting you into something. He's in his sovereignty, in his amazing, infinite wisdom, knows you well beyond you, and he he brought you at this place for a reason, and his purpose is to fit you in. That's the big idea. That's the big, that's the thing he wants to do with your life. There's inputs and there's outputs. It means that we all have this, we all have a ministry. There's some of us who specialize in things, but we all generally are ministers and we're pegged to each other's success. Anybody see the movie Hotel Rwanda? You see that? It's a great movie. Uh, Don't watch it with your kids, but it's a great movie. And uh, in this movie, uh, there, it, it's it's such a great uh, passage. Our passage. It's such a great uh, movie that kind of underlines or um, how individualistic as Americans we have become, and how much it 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 undermines um, ourselves. Uh, in this movie, there's just this. It's in. It takes place in the early '90s, mid '90s. The um, this a terrible atrocity was happening from from one tribe was basically genocide of another tribe, and this this it centers around this hotel manager who's like has this kind of fortress of people inside of this hotel, and CNN kind of gets through, and this hotel manager's super excited that CNN's here and he's like, now that you're here, America is going to see what's happening. Finally, the pain and the suffering, and they're going to come and they're going to help us. And the CNN reporter says, look, i got to be honest with you. Here's what's going to happen. They're going to be eating dinner, watching this on the news, and they're going to say, how terrible, how horrible. Change the channel to will and grace and continue eating their dinner. Which is, which is exactly what happened, by the way. The ugly underbelly of a hyper-individualistic culture 
is an insensitivity and an apathy to the hurting and broken. Because what does your pain have to do with me? It, I mean, if, if, you, if you know and love the Bible, it has everything. I know that it has everything. Your pain has everything to do with me. Because you and I are in a partnership. You and I have a joint venture. We're together in this. There are things that I input you, and there are things that you input me. And, and, we, and we work at this together, for better or for worse. It's way more than we ever... And he wants, he wants to bring you in. He wants to bring you into this, this ministry. So you need to be uh, loved, and you need to love. You need to be served, and you need to serve. You need to be counseled, and you need to counsel others. You need to be taught, and you need to teach others. There's all this kind of like... Uh, you, re, you need to receive. You do need to receive. There are things that you need. We, you need from other people, not just from me, but from other people, and and vice versa. There's things that you have. God has made you His masterpiece. There, there, there are people. He's made you as unique as a snowflake. There are people that only you can reach. There, there are hands that only you can hold. I know that snowflake thing was kind of corny. I'm sorry, but the. <laughs> Let's move on. So Matthew eleven eleven. Here's a cool verse. Let me, sh- let me show this for you. Matthew eleven eleven. Truly, this is Jesus. Truly, I say to you, among those born of a woman, which how many people is that? It's just the Bible's way of saying everybody. Just <laughs> among those born of a woman, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Okay, go ahead and let your jaw drop at that one. Think about everybody in the Old Testament. Moses, Abraham, just anyone. Name them. No, not better, not better than John the Baptist. This is a massive statement. This is a huge statement. But it gets better because you you, you're, you're in the next part. Yet the one who is the least. How many here are the least? You're at least the least. You may not be the best, but you're at least the least. So more hands should be going up at that. That means everybody. That's my way of saying everybody. That's my way, the least of the least. So you're everyone. We're all at least the least. Okay, you with me? Just say yes so I, so I can go on to my next point. I'm hungry too. I want to eat lunch too. Yet, he who is the least is greater than John the Baptist. Whoa. I just thought I was going to church. I just thought I was listening to a sermon. I just thought I would read a few verses that make me happier. There's other things, wow verses, where Jesus says there's greater things that you'll do than I even did. Because there's a way that the presence of God wants to manifest among us in ways greater than it did with John the Baptist. If, if we allow Jesus to build us together. Some pretty big stuff. Inputs, outputs. We all have a talent. We all have a gift. We all have a way to serve. This means that we reject individualism at every level. It means we don't see the church through eye. We stop asking the question, even, what does God want to do in my life? That, that doesn't even matter anymore. What does God, it's not what God wants to do in me. What does God want to do in we? 
What's God have for us? When you, when you begin to understand this, you don't even think that. You don't even, it, it no longer even becomes about what you do, even though I truly believe that everybody here has a gift, that I am, I am desperate to have uh, uh, developed and deployed in this church and in this city because I think it's going to be massively beneficial that if you find out your unique purpose. I, I'm, but even in that, it's not even the point. Being a part is way more important than the part you play. And God just wants to blow up your small little picture of what he's doing in the church and in your life. If you will set aside yourself and look to him, and that's what it says, as you look to him, as you come to him, and he's doing something in you that is massive. And the needs in the city are, are huge. And I'm, I'm excited to be a part of church that gets this. Over our locations, there are 725 adults Plus a couple hundred kids with like another couple hundred on the way, apparently. <laughs> I don't know what everybody... Well, never mind. I'll move on. And so, out of the 725 adults, there are 425 uh, currently volunteering, which is awesome. It's actually statistically and relatively speaking pretty good. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I think part of it is this, this idea of being, you know, the priesthood of all believers that, if you've ever heard that term, it just means that everybody's a priest. Everybody has an opportunity to minister, to mediate God's presence to other people, and that's what this verse is all about. We've always been about multiplying groups of people, multiplying community groups, services, locations, all that, where it's not top-heavy. It's, it's everyone understands that, that the real ministry in the church isn't what happens, what I'm doing right now, but it happens with whatever we all do together seven days a week. But there are more needs. I mean, that's part of the problem. You come in here and you see a paved parking lot. You see signs that match. And you're like, these guys are doing pretty good. You know, they don't, they don't need me. That would not be true. Those of you who have been around a while and actually peek behind the curtain just a little bit, know that that's far from true. It's a lot of, a lot of things that need help. There's a whole city of people. I mean, there's a whole world of people, by the way. But let's just keep it small for a minute. There's a whole city full of need. But even if there wasn't, you need this for you. You need to be fitted in. You need to step forward. You need to do the scary thing of engaging in community, which isn't just having a friend. That's relationships. Community is like, think joint venture, think partnership. You need that. You need that for you. But the, the, the amazing thing, the thing that just blows my mind every time I think about it, is like, God, in doing that, God puts before me this amazing opportunity to like... Bless people eternally. Not because of me, because, because, of God, because of God through me. There, there's a world out there that's hurting. There's a, world, there's a world out there that's broken. There are people in this room that are hurting. There are people in this room that are broken. There's ministry in your, in you. 
that if it was more fully released, more of us would be ministered to, more of us outside of us would be ministered to. But that's not even really the... I mean, that's part of the point. But you need this. Don't resist the work of God in your life. He's, I mean, it's, we've all read about Jonah, right? The guy with the fish. Remember him? God said, go to Nineveh. He went in the opposite direction. Well, what a dummy. I'd always do what God told me. Here's what God's telling you to do. Go get into community. You, you can put yourself in Jonah's shoes. Guess what? You know how good he is? He's so good that even when you run away, he'll send a fish to come swallow you and spit you back up where you need to be. You may have to spend a few nights in the feed trough of a pig, but he'll, he'll get you there. He's good. He's a good guy. He's a good God, good dad. He loves us. He's patient. But his work is he's trying to get you there. He's, he's trying to lead you to a place of blessing for yourself and a place of blessing for other people. And it will not and cannot and shall not. That sounds more biblical, right? It shall not happen on your own. That is not, that is not the picture that the Bible paints just doesn't happen. He doesn't need you. He's not made from human hands as if he needed anything. He just likes to invite his kids to play. And he's after a family. And we find our purpose, we find our identity in the context of that family, not outside the context of that family. It is it is an abundantly clear thing that for whatever reason, well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. I don't know what your reason is. We just, we, we don't want that. We'd rather make it about something else. So how do you do this? Okay, Brian, I get it, fine. What do I do? How do I grow more deeply into this community. Well, I said it already. You go to him. As you come to him, he does this. It's cause and effect. As I turn up the heat, it gets hotter. As I turn the heat down, it gets colder. As I stick my hand in the fire, it burns. As you come to him, he builds you in. Which means, if you're not being built in, you're not coming to him. You're coming to something else, which is why this is such a big deal. So what does it mean to come to him? Do I, what, do I read the Bible more? Do I, you know, go to both services on Sunday? What do I do? You make him your cornerstone. He's the, he's the cornerstone that was rejected by men. So how do people miss this? They miss it because they rejected him. They rejected Jesus. I don't want to build my life on Jesus. See, the cornerstone, if you don't know what a cornerstone is, the cornerstone was like the foundation of the foundation. 
It wasn't just the foundation, but it was the it was a stone that had to be absolutely perfect in every way because all the other stones in the foundation got its cue from that cornerstone. And there were people who looked at Jesus and says, I he's not I reject him as my cornerstone. And they went and chased other cornerstones. How you come to Jesus is you you make him your cornerstone, not your job. Not your hobbies, not your relationships, not your sense of self, whatever that means. You make him your cornerstone. What does that mean? It means that, well, it says that he was precious. You make him precious in your life. There's nothing more valuable. So there's all these parables in the Bible, you know, the pearl of great price and the hidden treasure, and it's worth everything. He's worth everything. Your, your cornerstone is that thing in your life when, every, when the chips are down and everything around you is falling. You say, well, at least I have this. At least I have a good job. At least I have a spouse. At least I have good friends. At least I make a lot of money. At least I'm, you know, attractive. At least I'm whatever it is for you. Whatever it is, when the chips are down, the heat is on, and you say, at least I have this. That is your cornerstone could be your kids that's the thing that is the thing that that's what it comes down to is it i mean we can go on here what is precious to you if you had a terminal disease and someone came along and says hey i've got a pill that will cure you of that disease you're like okay bring it on i need that right now why wait? Well, hold on a second. Before, you, before I give it to you, I just, I just got you, I just, you just have to understand, it's going to cost you everything. You're going to have to sell your house. Um, you know, you're going to have to, you know, you, you just, it's everything that you own. It, you can't have this pill unless you give up everything you own. You're like, well, what good is everything I own if I'm dead? So yes, I'll take the pill. At that moment, that pill is precious to you. Is Jesus precious to you? Or is there something else you need? Do you need affirmation from other people? Do you need to know that you're somebody at your job? Do you need to have certain things in your life? It could even be like really seem, seeming more biblical things like the certain relationships. It's making him the cornerstone. And as you make him, as you reject other cornerstones, you can only have one, by the way, it's not multiple corners. As you reject all other cornerstones and make him your one cornerstone, and as you come to him, he'll figure it out. Because there's all these things in mind. I don't have the time, and I'm, I'm scared, and I'm hurt, and I'm all these things, and what about this, and I don't even like this, and it, you know, all this stuff comes to mind, all these reasons. But as you come to him, he, he'll fit it together. He knows your shape. He knows what you need. He knows what you're made of. He leads you, he always he always 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 leads us to green pastures. Always. He always gives us a peace beyond our understanding. He always gives us a joy above our peers. He always does that. When he's our cornerstone when we reject everything else for him. He'll help you. He'll make it he'll He'll make sense out of that.